Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Can y'all hear me all right? All right. Give your neighbor a fist bump real quick. Come on, just hit him with the fist bump. Emily hit Cheyenne with the fist bump back there. Hit her with the fist bump. All right. Hit your neighbor. All right. Y'all look good this morning. Is it hot enough outside for you? Starting to see stuff. I swore when I came in, I saw Satan in the parking lot smoking a pack of black and miles out there. It's, it's, it, it's hot. Like, it's, it, it's hot, hot, for real. It's real hot. I'm not playing with you. All right. Other people in here are like, oh, my God. All right, so we're going to jump into it this morning. Um, we are going to be in Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. If you got your word with you, I'm going to be jumping around all over the place. We were in Hebrews last week, still inside of our Faith, Faith, Faith series, and we're going to continue in that series um, and kind of jump in kind of where we stopped last week and uh, have a good time with that. But I'm going to be all over the place in the scripture today. I have like 50 million things, so you don't have to follow me everywhere. You can kind of hold the Hebrews, and we'll go through there. So I'm going to pray real quick to start us off this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you, Father. We give you thanks, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us, Father. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Um, we're extremely grateful. We put an emphasis on um, letting us get up this morning, Father, because it seems like there's been so much tragedy and people passing lately, Father, and people having to work through hard things. So pray that you help us um, on how to encourage and be next to our brothers and sisters that are experiencing turmoil and heartache in this season, Father Lord. Um, let us also rest in this future hope that you've given us, Father Lord, and the promises you've given us through Christ Jesus, Father. I pray, Father Lord, that you would do a work in our heart this morning through your spirit, Father Lord, um, that would press us towards a... a um, a divine esteem for your word, divine esteem for words that we just throw around like faith, but in a, in a, in a way that's beyond us that we will grasp the weightiness of it. Um, and we thank you for the desire to want to lean into the things you show us and want to walk in them, Father Lord. And we know it's not because of our goodness, but it's because of your son Jesus and what you've done um, to us and what you're doing through us, Father Lord. So we, um, we come with our hearts submitted as much as we know how. And, Father, Lord, we trust you by faith with the rest of it, Lord, to, to, to guide us, Father, Lord, as you promise us. So we praise you. We thank you this morning. We thank you for our church. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 All right, so I'm going to read through Hebrews 11. Um, I think I told you 1 through 7, but I was actually um, just starting off right with a lie straight off the bat. It's wrong. All right. Hebrews 1 through 16 is where we're going to be at. I'm going to read straight through it. It's kind of a long text. Some of it you heard it last week, but I just want you to hear the whole body of it as we start to go through some of it. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of all received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that, it, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. 
By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he, could not, he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as God, excuse me, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that, clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right. Y'all remember that song, they built this city on rock and roll? Who's that, Starship or something? Told you, man. I'm old, man. Some of the young people are like, they're like, I won't remember that. All right. Anyway. All right, so let's jump in. We're going to start right now. I'm going to go through Hebrews 1 really quick. Um, and we hit some of these texts earlier. So I'm really trying to work us to verse 3, right? So starting at verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So just to kind of bring that to you whatever to, together, other texts say, Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of, not, of things not seen. So basically when we're talking about faith, we're talking about this conviction, this conviction about something that is not seen, but it becomes as real to us as the ground we stand on. That's our faith. You with me so far? So a lot of you, when you became a believer, God gave you the gift of faith in your heart, and Jesus was real to you, and you begin to fashion your life in this way that you are following something that other people in the world would be like, you're absolutely crazy, um, and prove there's a God, and now you're following orders from an imaginary God. They would think you're actually crazy, but your conviction, this gift of conviction is so much that God, that, you, that you're literally, you've left things that you've loved, you've left things that were normal to you, you've, you're actually walking in your trust in God. You've been convicted that what God says is true. Do you get where I'm coming from? You have a conviction. It's your faith, right? And then verse 3 says this. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was, made, was not made out of things that are visible. Right? So there's a couple of things we see here. What God wants you to do with your faith. 
He wants you to believe his word, and he wants you to walk in a way where you actually manifest the invisible. That's a very huge statement right there. God actually wants you to walk in a way with your life that you actually manifest the invisible. So there's a very big difference from, for, from you doing things for God and God doing things through you. Does that statement make sense? Right? Like, so there's a, there's a difference from, because anybody can just attribute godliness to themselves and kind of use it as a virtue, so to speak. And then they can kind of go with things that even the world would actually say to them, that seems rather godly. You help people, that's godly. That, you know, we, we, could, we could give these things and make them virtuous or whatever, but it doesn't mean that God is actually working through you in them. You get where I'm coming from? Like, so we've, we've heard the text before where it says people are going to be like, God, we did this in your name. We helped people. We, every, we did all of these amazing things, but he's going to be like, depart from me. I actually don't know you. Right? So when you read that, it's kind of, it puts you in this kind of tension where it's like, we got to figure out what actually walking by faith and, and walking with God actually is because I can confuse this really easy. It makes you have to stay really close to the word. I just want you to feel the tension as we're talking about this text where it's like, we have to lean in to figure out what this is, right? Because if you're nonchalant with it, then you can actually get in a jam or whatever, just build, figuring you're doing the godly thing and not digging in the scriptures for it, right? Second Corinthians 5 says this. It says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? I want you to dwell in that statement real quick in verse 7, that for we walk by faith, not by sight. Like when I was working on this or whatever, like, I mean, that might be the only scripture or whatever, you know, like you can, you can memorize it really easy and just fling it out. It just sounds good, like walk by faith and not by sight. You know what I'm saying? You can pat yourself on the back with it. But I want you to think about this idea of if you wake up in your pursuit of God every day, and you actually walk by faith, or if everything is actually natural in your mind, where it's just like two plus two equals four, and we're working to get to four today. But what does it actually look like to actually be like, God, I need to seek your face to actually know what your will is and what you're actually calling me to do, right? So that's, good. that's a broad statement, and it also could be in a relational situation where it's like, man, this relationship is really hard. What would it look like for me to walk in faith right now? Like, what is faith looking when I drop it in the middle of this? Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm trying to get you to get this concept of this life surrendered to God, what is your will? And how that compels us to seek God more and how it actually alters the way you do everything you do, right? All right, let's look at some examples. This Hebrews right here is the Faith Hall of Fame. That's what people refer to it as because it talks about all the patriarchs of the Bible, right? And so verse 4 says this. It says, hey, friend, will you hit that clock for me, bro? Um, verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So we just want to look at that for a quick second. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, and he was commended for it, meaning that God approved it, right? It means that God actually said, yo, Abel, I salute your faith game. I, I, I see you, I salute it, right? 
It's, acceptable, it's, accept, it's an acceptable sacrifice to me. And the thing in this text is God weighs the heart. He weighs the heart. And this is the thing where we're talking about it becomes an issue to lean into things you think are good versus walking by faith in God producing God, excuse me, producing good through you. Do y'all get, do y'all get the tension I'm setting up for you? All right. I'm going to give you an example. Example. This is the uh, widow's might, right, in Luke 21. It says, this is Jesus, says, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites, which is a very small amount of money, right? It says, So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. So people are giving their offering, and this isn't about giving right now. So don't start, you know, like getting all like holding on to your wallet, like, oh, here he goes, oh my God. I knew it, man. I'd never come to church and now he's trying to get my money. Chill out. Because if you take a minute to really stare at this text, there's a lot bigger thing going on than the economical side of this situation, right? There's a verse that says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? He's talking about where their treasure is. When he's talking about this widow right now, he's talking about the idea that her faith actually comes out of a poverty. It comes out of poverty. It doesn't come out of an abundance. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean to condemn anybody that lives in abundance or has an abundance of wealth. It comes out of a poverty before God, which we all share whether we believe it or not. Does that make sense? The statement is more so about who is God to you. And, 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 and the widow makes it very clear he's everything to her. Right? So it pits her livelihood, her, her natural circumstance versus her faith circumstance. It's not just about money, it's about who God is. It's about faith. It's about who our faith is in. Right? Let me keep moving. Verse 5 says, um, we're, we're back in Hebrews right here. Verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hold on to verse 6 because I'm going to come back to it a little bit later. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for, saving, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. So let's, let's explore the circumstance here, right? So you have Noah. I think a lot of times when we read these stories, we just think like, you know, like this is like way back in the day. Man, they probably did crazy stuff like build arcs all the time and stuff and chill with Donna. We start writing this crazy kind of story in our head. But like socially, a lot of the same things that we have going on right now are the same things that they were dealing with back then, right? And so... Noah is building the ark, right? Everybody thinks he's out of his mind. 
It's like, bro, you didn't, you didn't blow a fuse, bro. You're crazy. He's like, yo, man, it's going to flood. God has told me this, and they think he's out of his mind, right? This is not very different from our circumstances today when it comes to actually walking and following Jesus. Because I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it all the time. It feels like almost everybody that I used to roll with and love and people I esteem, they think you're crazy if you follow Jesus right now. It just is what it is. They, they think it's crazy, right? And I don't want to take this text out of, I don't, don't want to take this text out of shape but like, in a sense, when you are actually walking in faith and you are following Jesus Christ, you are building the ark in modern times. You are building that thing that everybody says, you must be out of your mind, yo. Well, God says that he's going to come back and he's going to judge the earth. And people are going to answer for their sins. But if you have faith in Christ Jesus, he died for you. He took your punishment for you. He, he gives grace and he gives mercy and he washes your sins away. People are like, that is so cute. All right, you're losing your mind. You're building the ark. Do you get where I'm coming from? You need, look, you need this so bad. You need to know this so bad. Like, I'm, I'm excited to preach this text, particularly because your faith is everything in your walk. It's everything. We'll get to it in the text, but it's everything in your walk. The church, very much so, is like an ark. Because when Jesus, re when, when we are redeemed and we are saved through Christ Jesus, what he calls us into is a community, and that's the church. It's not the building, but it's us as a people right? It is that thing where our family is being saved, our household is being saved. We as a church family are being saved because God is moving and working through us as his children. We are his children. That's our, that's our inheritance, and there's a promise that we have. You get where I'm coming from? Yeah. All right. I'm painting a picture with a picture a little bit, but I'm not taking the text out of, I'm just using it to, to you know, as an adjective to describe a little bit. But this thing says that Noah, he did this in faith. So he materialized this boat, which nobody had ever seen, this ark. They don't even know what that is. God was working through him because of what he knew God was going to do. So he does this thing where he makes this thing nobody's ever seen. And it says he has a reverent fear of God. In Job 13, 15, he says, though he slays me, I will hope in him. This is a statement he says about God. And if you could just grasp for a minute what that statement may be or what that statement may meant to Noah in his day and age when everybody is ridiculing him, ridiculing him, they think he's a fool, his family's probably with him and they're helping him because he's the patriarch of the family, but they're probably like, yo, man, dad is crazy. Like, yo, let's go get this lumber and all that, whatever. You want me to go get some snakes and alligators? I don't know how I'm going to do this, but... I don't know. Something's going on because I keep whistling for the alligators and they came and they didn't bite me. I don't know. So they're in the middle of this crazy story, but Noah socially is in this thing where he's like, he probably felt like God was slaying him. Everybody around him was probably slaying him. But this reverent fear does this thing where like, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. You get where I'm coming from? Let God be true and every man a liar. It's where the conviction, that faith we talked about, it's realer than everything. So, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world because he actually walked the other way when the world was walking off the cliff. And it's not for the sake of him not saying, come jump in the boat, 
It's not because of that. Nobody wanted to jump on the boat. You understand what I'm telling you? So he condemned the world and his right. So what he manifested is he manifested truth in the midst of lies. That's a simple way to say it, right? So where the, the world, the, the carnal pattern of this world is against God, where the, where the world is subject to futility and it's broken, his obedience to God manifests truth. And it made the statement for all to see, all that can't see God, to go, God is true, God is real. We're still talking about him 2,000 years right now because of his walk in faith. Is that right? Look what God is doing to us. This is Philippians 2, I'm going to read to you. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Who works in you? For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I had to look at my wife because she always gets at me about that word among. I always say among, and she gets mad. Anyway, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, which this is just another way to say having faith in God, right? Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul is doing the work of, he is looking to, in, he is looking to encourage their faith, right? But he, it's, it's the same thing we just saw with Moses. He's also letting them know, like, be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So when God gives you faith, one of the things he requires to happen with that faith is that you now you are manifesting the unseen, now seen through you faith in the midst of a crooked generation, right? So in a world where people can't seem to figure out if 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 throwing babies in cages is okay, or we have to go to politics and party versus party, it's a good time for us to show up and say, listen, always have reverence for children. That's the truth, because that's God's word. Y'all can, we can, we can fight about the other stuff, but you don't play with children. It just is what it is. So it's like, how do we find truth when everything is just push, 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 war, separation, division? It's in the Bible for us. It's in the Bible for us to make to stand for truth. It just is what it is. I don't mean that as a political statement, so don't get you something in a bundle. I don't know what people say. I heard a phrase like that before. <laughs> don't get something in the bundle. I'm just saying, God says we don't play with children. That's the statement. That's all I'm trying to say. That, that truth does have to be implanted in a conversation that involves children, always, right? I'm saying when, when the poor, when the needy, when the widow have nobody advocate for them, 
and laws and policy and just social patterns of this world make that not important, God is actually calling us to do something different, right? He's looking for us to be truth in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. But nobody's going to do that. If your faith is not, if you don't believe God is real, if he's not working through you, because this is not, this is not a virtue we just carry around because we're the good people. This is something when we are intimate with God, it begins to actually, as we understand that we are the broken people, that we are the twisted generation, that we are the crooked people that God has actually redeemed by the blood of the lamb. As we start to grasp mercy, which you can't get near him and start understanding this idea of mercy and grace, you start to spew it out. Do you get where I'm coming from? This is all in the, this is all in the dance of faith that's happening. Verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise and, that, and as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and, and Jacob, heirs with him on the same, of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, and when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sands by the seashore. I want you all to listen to verse 13, verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having the knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I'm going to take you back to verse 6 real quick. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Forever, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. All these people we just listed, they believed that he existed, and they believed that he was actually a good God. A lack of faith pushes against God's existence, and it declares him not good and not true to his promise. Right? So let's just think about that for a minute. All of these people believed in God. They believed he was a good God. And like, let me, make that, let me make this verse land on you in a practical way. Anytime you fall into sin, in that moment, there is a decision that you make. And there's a decision to take God from on high and make him really small, right? Just make him really small. It is a decision to say, listen, God, I know you're good, but I actually want what I want right now. I actually believe that what I want right now is actually better than what you can offer me. That's on a more practical moment-by-moment -moment level, but also on a grander scheme of our life, period. The way we actually dream about life, the way we set up our ambitions, the way we walk where we're going to live, everything about us, whatever, this also has implications on it, 
right? Because if you believe God is good and he rewards those who seek him, then you'll seek him, right? Then you'll seek him. Then you'll believe that you're in good hands even when you don't understand and comprehend it, right? You'll be like, you know, God, I don't get this, but I really, you ever made a decision like that where you're like, I feel crazy making this decision, but for some reason, I really feel like this is the way God is calling me to move. You ever been in that situation? Like you feel a strong conviction. You don't feel deceived in the moment, but you just feel like, God, this doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but I feel like I'm being called to move this way. Right? Y'all can talk a little bit. Y'all can say something. All right. All right. Romans 8, 28, I read this last week. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? So believing he exists and that he's good to those who seek him, it drops us dead in the center of our purpose. Like, so, I think one of the beautiful things about walking with God and trusting him, and I'm not always here at all, but it's this thing where you end up right where God wants you to be. Out of all the places on earth, this thing where even when you're in struggle, even when you're in trials, even when you're in tribulation, God and his sovereignty can put you right in the middle of the story where you're supposed to be at all times. Like, that's what that scripture is saying. It's saying all things work out for your good. It takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that that's absolutely true. Because when you're in the middle of having your back up against the wall and you're dealing with trials and tribulations, I don't know about you, but most of the time I'm like, ah, Jesus, Jesus, is he really real? I mean, come on, let's think through this. I start doubting. I start doubting. I start wondering. God, you say that this is going to work out for my good. Do I really believe that? Do I really choose to walk by faith right now, or do I choose to walk by sight? Because sight says that something is messed up here, and I want to go fix it, and I want to alleviate my pain very quickly. And I actually don't want to take the time to even pray or ask you about it at all, because I just want it to stop, right? But I'll tell you this right here. You talk to people who've been walking in the faith for a long time, and they'll talk about a lot of their struggles with the most joy you can possibly imagine. Because they'll tell, you, they'll tell you the long story about being in struggle and how they were getting rich in the middle of that struggle because God may have been teaching them a lesson about finances or wisdom. Because when we ask for wisdom, man, you better be ready for it. Because God usually gives you wisdom through experiences. And they're usually not the way you would fashion them or want them to be, but nevertheless, it's the way he actually does it. Right? So if we don't have this thing where God is sovereign, he's true, and that he exists and that he's a good God, then all of a sudden we start speculating against him. Let's talk about the church real quick. Faith for the body, right? It's 1 Corinthians 12. I know it's hot in here, y'all. I'm going to try to move. I told you Satan outside is not going to be any better. It's out there with a pipe, I'm telling you. All right. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 12, right? It says this. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So this scripture, before I go into it and work through it, 
this scripture is pushing, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it is pushing on the body of Christ. What it is and what it's supposed to look like and how we function. And the reason I think this scripture is so important because I think that the church has some tension and some repentance it needs to step into when it comes to what we call church and what we call community and what we call the body of Christ and how, we, how we're called to love each other, right? Um, I think that's an ongoing work that should always keep us at our needs. Um, but I think the scripture puts a whole lot of tension on us as believers, right? So it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into, in, into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free. Anytime you see text that lists those things together, you are seeing God take aim at a huge wall of hostility, right? Just to even say Jews and Greeks together is hatred. So you can take everything you want to think about, whatever, whether it's sexism, classism, racism, um, all of that stuff, and you can put it right in that statement right there because that's what's embodied in this whole thing when he says that, right? When you see Paul mention this in the text, right? He says, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He's talking about what Christ is doing. Doesn't look like we've done in the world with church. This is what the Lord is doing, right? He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Who arranged the members of the body? God arranged them, right? This is pushing on this idea of where like, this doesn't fit and we start different fractions and different things of the church and everything else. It's pushing at this idea of division and it's saying God is saying, I have purpose, right? And then it's gonna lead us into this tension where I've called you to work through those tensions that arrive, not cast each other off, right? We don't, we don't have liberty to do that. But it says if we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Right? So like the way we've functioned with church, the way we function with relationships, the way we function with community, it's when something seems weak to us, we know how to actually cast it off. Right? So this throws us in this tension of faith where God is saying he deems it to be indispensable. It means you put the emphasis on fighting for it, right? You get where I'm coming from? It's like when you're on a boat or whatever and it's rocking back and forth and you think you're going, it's going to tip or whatever. If somebody's going down on this side, then you pull, make the emphasis of working to get back over here and bringing their weight back over here. Do you get where I'm coming from? He's painting this picture where the body, when it teeter-totters, we're supposed to be like, yo, throw the, not throw the dead weight off. That's not how it works. By faith, we're supposed to trust God's plan and actually work to get balanced with each other. You understand what I'm saying? The hard work of loving each other, right? The hard work of sacrifice. Let me keep talking and shut up and get to the scripture. All right, it says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Listen to this statement. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's a heavy statement. It's a heavy statement. It changes the game from coming to church on Sunday and just, let me get my seat. Man, that was an awesome sermon. Let me roll out. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I got to feel the tension of working on this text to preach on Sunday. I want y'all to feel the tension with me. Come on in. Come on in, y'all. But it asks the question, what kind of Christianity have we bought into? And is it biblical Christianity? Like, when God gave us, gave us this faith and he gave us his son Jesus, is what we see what he wanted us to do with it? Is, it? is that the work that he wanted to work through us, or have we bought into something that is actually carnal and not of God at all, right? I'm not saying this from a sense of, like, I have this perfect this church has this perfect. I'm saying that we are called to step into the tension of striving for what God wants because, right? I'm saying that God says he's actually going to do this to us. So, like, if, like, we're not supposed to be kind of trying to suffocate the work of the spirit, but letting it actually grow and, and do what it does and produce fruit. And this is what he's talking about. So when it gets off a little bit, because staying close to the word, then we can be like, it's not looking like this. It doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it means we step into the tension of doing what God calls us to do because we believe he exists and we believe he's a good God and he rewards those who seek him. That's it. That's why. Because he's God, we're not. Because we must decrease and he must increase. Right? Because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Right? Now call righteousness because of what He's done, not because of what I've done. That, that statement alone says, I don't have the plan. God has the plan. We are followers of Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. So if we're going to follow him. We follow him in what he declares to be true for us. That's, that's what we submitted, right? So let me tell you this right here. Especially when it comes to community. And I've, I've, I've said this exact thing I'm about to tell you before in our church. It's... It's kind of ironic how the lack of faith that we can move in wages war against God, right? Because the way it comes about is usually like this. We look around about around our community of believers, and we go, this is what I hear from people often, it doesn't look like this. I'm through with it, Right? So in that statement, the person deems themselves to be faithful, and they say everybody else is not faithful, so they go, I'm an I, and I don't fit over here, so I'm going gonna, gonna to go away, right? God, is like, God has called us into this, into this war, so to speak, with our faith, right? If there is something we strive and we fight for, it's for truth, right? But we often, with our lack of faith, we begin to undo what God is doing. We begin to undo community. 
Like, so we don't accept the calling to stand for truth, to be faithful, because we'll look to the right or left and be like, nobody's faithful. And so we start letting it drag the thing down. You get where I'm coming from? I'll talk to you in a sense of calling. So I talk, to, I talk to people all the time. I was just with a guy just recently, he was just telling me, he's like, Jay, he's like, man, I've always felt like I'm called to be a pastor. He's like, my father's a pastor. He's like, I always felt it, whatever. He said, man, but I can't mess with the church, man. He says, too much crazy stuff going on with the church or whatever, you know, all type of shysty cats and everything. And, the organ- and he's telling me all of his speculations and everything else. And I told him, I said, bro, I completely feel you, man. I said, I've always felt the same thing, but I was just like, what if God actually is letting you see all of that stuff because he wants you to come lead his church and he's tired of those people leading his church? Do you get where I'm coming from? So his lack of faith begins to tear down the object of God's heart, his church, right? His, the body, his people, his children, right? My children can be some rascals, but I'm not going to let you hurt them, Right? Some of them maybe, I don't know. I got to think about that. I'll come back to that. But we end up being like Sanballat in the story with um, Nehemiah building the wall, where God is calling Nehemiah by faith to go back and resurrect the, uh, the wall of his people that have been taken into exile, right? And then you have Sanballat and you have all these other guys that are standing around him and they're just coming against him. They're trying to sabotage every single step. That's how we as Christians often, that's the way our lack of faith plays out. And the problem is in it, the problem is, is when we're in that lack of faith, we feel extremely justified in it. Because the fact of the matter is somebody may have actually failed us. Somebody may have been rude. They may have kind of played us a little bit in the church. It may have actually happened like that. But if we're sober, if we're sober about what God is doing, then we should be alert on how Satan plays his games. He's, he's waging war at your faith. That's what he's doing. He wants you to take what is, he wants you to deal what's carnal with what you see. He wants you to deal with the flesh, right? That's, what he, that's, what the, that's the fruit Satan wants you to produce, which is not fruit at all. God is looking for you to, to manifest something unseen, a love that is actually outside of this world, where we actually love people, even our enemies, where we, where we feed our enemies, where we wash the feet of people. That's what he's asking you to do. So I'm just saying, what kind of faith have, have we bought into? We all got to live in the tension. Prince used to have a song called Thieves in the Temple. Y'all remember that? All right. Just going through the, you know what I'm saying, all the 80s, 90s hits, whatever. I'm just going to keep working my way through it. God wants you to have a bottom of the barrel faith, right? When you're on your lowest low. John 16 says this, says Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I want you to think about this really quick, that statement or whatever, because if you read it too fast, you'll miss it. Jesus is telling them, you're going to desert me and y'all are going to scatter. And at the same time, he makes this statement. He says, 
I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So he didn't say, you're going to desert me, you low-down, backstabbing, snitch scoundrels. He didn't say that. He says, you're going to scatter. When it gets real, you're going to take off and you're going to go hide. He's talking to Peter, who's, who said, I'm going to ride and I'll die for you, right? So let's, I, I, want you to take this for, I want you to take this for you every day. What he's, what he's saying to them is when you are somewhere feeling like a coward, like a traitor, and you're hiding, Jesus is still with you. God's grace and mercy is still in that place with you. Amen. I have said these things that in me you may have peace. You got to take God's peace with you at the bottom, right? In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? When we look at King David in Psalms, after he's killed Uriah the Hittite, killed one of his closest homies, one of his most faithful servants, and he's taken his wife and fornicated with her. How wretched. Nevertheless, you hear him in Psalms, and the Lord is near to him in the lowest bottom of the barrel moment. He's, God has still blessed him with this faith to come before the Lord, even in that broken place, to like, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I've sinned. He still, in faith, is able to utter out a repentance in that low, low place. Peter, same thing. I'm going to read Matthew 15 to you really quick. It's the faith of the uh, Canaanite woman. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely depressed, oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, y'all know if somebody said that to you, y'all be like, Oh, okay, girlfriend, get my earrings. Get my earrings, y'all. We about, to, we about to, like, who'd you call a dog, right? He said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I read that scripture to you because there's this thing that's going on. Number one, God works, he, he's omnipresent. So he's in the beginning of the story, he's at the end of the story. But in this story, one of the things he's doing for us is he's showing this humility. Like when we talk about he exists and that he's good, she went to the table with that, with that understanding, right? Despite the statement, 
she went to the table understanding that he's a good God and he's a rewarder of those who seek him, seek him right? She came forward. She's walking through the street screaming out his, out his name because she believed, because she had faith, and her faith was rewarded. It was rewarded, right? She's the bottom of the barrel faith. She didn't even take, you, you have to grasp the position she's in because she didn't even take, she didn't even take offense to the word dogs. She still moved straight to what she came for. Do you get where I'm coming from? Y'all with me? Let me read. I'm going to end in a second, y'all. Let me read this real quick. This is James 1, 2 through 8, right? It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Produces what? Steadfastness. Steadfastness, right? Which is resolution. It means you're firm in your purpose. It means that you, you are sure, right? Says verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5 says, if, you lack, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who generously, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive any, anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He starts off with count it all joy. Do you know how hard it is to encourage one of your brothers and sisters and tell them when they're in the middle of trials and tribulations to count it all joy? I think I said this to you the other week, man. Sometimes, like, when I sit in counseling sessions and people are going through stuff in the church, I'm like, Trust in the Lord, and they just look like they want to smack the living life out of me. They'd be like, all right. But it's, it, it, it's what I believe. It's what I have faith in. It's how I function. It's the best thing I have to offer. But you have to have faith to be able to even encourage your own brothers and sisters about trusting the Lord. To tell them something like all things work out for the good of God, you know what I'm saying, of those who, 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 who follow him. To, to say that statement, you have to believe he exists and you have to believe he is good and a rewarder of those who seek him, right? Because it's contrary to everything that is actually carnal, uh, to like just our carnal life and what we hear and what we see, right? Jeremiah uh, 32 says this, Ah, Lord God. It is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. That's a statement you hold on to. So when you're in a hard place, you want to milk that moment. This is just the way I describe it. You want to milk that moment for everything God is doing in that moment. Right? So when you get in the jam... You don't want to be in a place where you complain all the way through it and miss the beautiful things God is actually doing for you in that moment, right? So if he has credibility that, he, that all things work out, then you can actually sit in a moment and go, this is absolutely crazy, God, but, like, you are actually doing something, right? I told you all, most of you all, like, the, the issues we're having with my house, and I ain't going to lie to you, I was about to lose my mind. I was complaining just like crazy. And then my wife one day just made this statement. She was like, man. She's like, Jay, this is a great opportunity for us to, like, you know, um, learn how to just be grateful and thank God during just a hard time, you know? And so I just looked over at it, and I was like, 
just want to choke you. You're a super Christian today, huh? So you're shoot flowers. Just got a cape somewhere or whatever. Where you at? Okay, you just, you just steadfast and loving the Lord, huh? She's like, yeah, it's an opportunity. Just, you know, like we'll just rejoice through it. Let's just pray through it and just trust God. And I'm like, a house is about to fall down on the other side. Like the ocean came in it. Um, what do you not understand, right? But she was right. She's like, count it all joy. Nothing's too hard for us. And we're still going to get rich in this moment. God is going to do something in our hearts and soul that we're going to be able to give to other people and encourage them. Right? That's, what, that's, that's what's going to happen. What I just read to you earlier inside of 1 Corinthians 12, when it's talking about the body, when one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When we honor this thing where we rejoice even in our hard times and we count it all joy, we all end up with something amazing to encourage each other and enrich each other. We get testimonies to be like, I've been where you're at. God is faithful, right? So a lot of times when people are going through stuff and they're talking, I'm like, oh, I'm, yeah, I know where you're at. Oh, man, yo, you, he's about to watch. I'm like, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. He's, de- he's dealing, you know what? He's dealing with something. You get excited because, like, you've been enriched with these things that you may got scars from, right? You may have got scars in your testimony, but now you're able to take those scars and actually give them to somebody to help them through this situation, to push them along. You get where I'm coming from? That's how he builds the body, how he encourages the body. It's through faith. Oh, glory to God. Okay. Verse 6, really fast, I'm going to bring this on home. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts, doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And the particular ask is in verse 5. He says, if any, man, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives gener- generously. But it says, do not doubt. And the reason it says doubt is because it's talking about what is going to actually happen when you ask for wisdom. Right? It's, it's not this thing that you just... Voila, I magically know stuff. I got an Encyclopedia Britannica living in my head all of a sudden. You're asking for a journey and a story. Right? You're asking for a story. And a story is going to be crazy. It's going to be the most beautiful thing ever. But when you're in it, you're going to be like, Lord, what in the world is going on? But you are going to be getting rich with wisdom, with understanding. You're going to see different different angles and ways God works and you're going to under his majesty and his beauty is going to get bigger and larger you're going to find yourself broken not knowing what to do and you're going to find yourself on your feet before Jesus holding on for dear life and you're going to know him like you've never known him before and you can't get close without wisdom being a part of that it's just going to it's it's going to be what happens being in his presence but that story will draw you into his presence if not then you have to deny that he's good and that he exists and start writing your own story and that ain't going to go well at all. Y'all get where I'm coming from? But it says, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You can't doubt. Because when it throws you in the story, it gets real weird and awkward. When you don't really trust them and you try to have this kind of halfway faith and things like that or whatever. And, 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 and then Satan, most definitely, he's going to show up. He's going to show up on the sea, believe that. Like Pirates of the Caribbean on you, with the, with the octopus beard. Coming, moving all around or whatever, you know what I'm saying? 
and he's going to whisper in your ear. And if you don't truly have your faith in God, then he's going to snatch you away. He's going to tell you this is, a, this is an easier route. He's going to try to alleviate your pain with something that feels good that just simply isn't going to be God. Let me round this up real quick in Jude 1. I'm going to read this through. I know I'm giving you all a lot of text, but it's good stuff. Um, Jude 1, verse uh, 17. And this is for us just to take with us to encourage each other, and I just want to leave this off with encouraging you all. It says, but you must remember, beloved, the, pre- the predictions of the apostle, apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, sorry, y'all, I keep drinking sweat in it while I'm reading, but anyway. It says, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. If these who cause divisions, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before God. Excuse me, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Just to round this up for you real quick, that's a beautiful scripture, but one of the things we mentioned earlier when we are in Hebrews 11, it talked about the fact that um, they were like exiles, right? And that they were looking for another home. So they almost looked at it. They, they literally, that scriptures talked to us like, you're out. We are literally out of this world, right? Like we are in this world waiting to get home, right? So it doesn't put stock in what's here before us. It has this thing where we are waiting to be with the Father. We're waiting for the promise. But in the meantime, it says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So when God talks about, when you see in the scripture and he says, um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. He's calling us by faith to stand in that, right? To stand in that in the sense that we are people who point people to the way. We point them to the truth. And there's a light that's in us that we talked about in this twisted generation that he is a light inside of us. That is, that is what he is. When he placed his faith inside of us, that's what he was doing to us as believers, right, to manifest the unseen and make it seen in our life. But as a community and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are waiting for the promises of God, but in the meantime, we're called to build ourselves up in faith. And, and, and the only way we're going to do this, the only way we're going to do this is if we actually believe God is true, if we believe he exists, if we believe he's actually good, because it's hard. Community is hard. It just is what it is. Loving brothers and sisters is hard. It just is what it is. We don't all just jive and move and groove and fit together. The gospel makes it possible. And so we have to have faith in that. Let's pray. Praise you, Father, Lord. God, we just praise you. We thank you for this day. God, we thank you for, we thank you for the example that you leave us in your scripture of 
Abraham and Sarah and the different patriarchs and, um, who, who lived a life of faith and left a monument for us to look back on so we can understand how it actually looked, how it looked when you we're under the pressure of being ridiculed and, um, and judged by other people. Um, when our faith is said to be silly to some, when people say, I don't see what you're talking about. But for us, this thing is so real that even when we wanted to run away at times and give up, we just simply can't escape it because you've done this thing in our hearts where you've gotten a hold of us to where our life is just simply not ours anymore. God, we thank you for that today. I thank you for that, Father Lord. But I know that I find myself in a place like many other people where it's like, Sometimes the faith is a little shaky and it's a little weird. And Father Lord, we don't want to be tossed around by the waves of the sea, Father Lord. We want to stand resolute in our faith. We, want to, we don't want to just like make it be this kind of cute thing, Father Lord, but we actually want to live it out day to day in a big story type of way, but also in a moment-to-moment day type of day, Father Lord, type of thing pray that you give us faith, Father Lord, in situations, God, that we wouldn't shut our ears to hear when you're talking to us and you're telling us to go pursue somebody um, or you're telling us to sacrifice and give to help somebody, when you're telling us to lean all the way in to the mission of the church and what you're doing through the body of Christ. Father Lord, help us to not be halfway in and halfway out, but help us to be resolute in our faith and our trust in who you are and what you're doing and in your word, Father Lord. So God, we praise you and we thank you for that, Father Lord. God, we pray for anybody in the room, Father Lord, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father Lord, that has not experienced the beauty of your grace and mercy in their life, Father Lord. I pray for people in the room who are in this place where it's like they just don't know. They're trying to figure out a way. They're still pushing for this thing. They're still pushing for success or, or whatever they think will make them happy. But they're missing life right in front of them in you, Father. So I pray, Father Lord, if there's anybody here today, Father Lord, that feels that, that conviction on their heart to draw near to you. Father, Lord, that if there's somebody who's trying to grasp the idea of Jesus and his beauty, Father, Lord, and this idea that their sins could be washed away, that a mercy could be, that, that it could be so in-depth and so deep and so true and so ferocious that their deepest, darkest sins are wiped away and they are made clean. And that the penalty that God had for us all as sinners, that the judgment was put on Jesus for them, that he loves them that much. He loves us all that much. And in return, Father Lord, that they're given his righteousness, Father. I pray that none of us in this room forget that, that are followers, Lord. But anybody in this room right now that is being called to follow, I pray, Father Lord, that you will continue to do that work and bring that on home for them, Father. So we just praise you, Father. We thank you as we take communion right now for our church and for our family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.